Hey there, it's uh, Thursday night again, and this is John and Matt from Plastic Climate Future. Yeah. .com. Boom, man. We're getting so much better. I mean, we're getting so much better. That shows you how bad you were, yeah. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. And uh, getting tonight, there. I mean, yeah. tonight we have a, a very interesting and special guest who is still here, although we sang the jingle and he didn't disappear. So I think he's gonna stay to to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> he's a brave guy. He's gonna stay to tell us a bit about uh, about where his braveness comes from. Um, and it's uh, Evan. Evan from UK, from the company Scrap. Hi, Evan. How are you doing? Hi, Matt. I'm doing well, thank you. And John, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. <laughs> even better, it's even better live. <laughs> so, so what do you think about our jingle? <laughs> oh, spot on. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Good. Send us your bank account number. We'll pay <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> So, Eva, you're you're uh, a, a young and handsome guy. I can say it because Thank I'm. You. I, Thank I, you. I, 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 oh, 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 oh sorry. Yeah, sorry. 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 <laughs> sorry. I mean, I, I sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. You're here because um, I know that you're uh, working in the field of recycling, and you're going to tell us more about it. But um, of course, at plastic climate future, we're not only interested in all the topics around plastics and activities, but also, of course, uh, very much interested about the people behind those activities and how those people came to all these activities. So um, you are on the mission to tackle the waste problem. Wow. And you have a very interesting background that actually wouldn't uh, hint <laughs> from your profile to, to what you're actually doing. So you're an architect engineer by training, right? That is correct, yes. So uh, what took you what took you to the world of recycling? That is a good question. And it goes back to September 2019, wow. when I was on a year abroad at the University of New Hampshire. Um, John, back in your, in your land of the uh, United States. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I so, so I started my career correct as an architectural engineer. Um, it was I like to coin it as more of a, a degree in sustainable building design because a lot of the course was focused on how to build buildings sustainably. So focusing a lot on energy conservation mm -hmm. when it came to heating, ventilation and air conditioning, as well as sustainable building practices. So I feel like I had sustainability from onset in my master's program. Um, when I got to the US, though, I took a course in sustainable engineering. Mm -hmm. And as part of the course, we got given two options. Now, picture yourself as a 22-year-old who's just flown over from Europe to the States, <laughs> and they get given two options. You either write a five-page report on a green technology that you like the sound of, or you try and solve an environmental or social problem with the chance of winning $30,000 to further develop that idea. <laughs> so what did one. you do? <laughs> well, I, so I, we, I know I would, at 22, I would definitely go for, for the five-page report and continue partying. Yeah, 
<laughs> I know where your priorities were. I like it. <laughs> yes. John, how no. about you? How about you? What do, what would you do? Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, I you know I have to say I may disappoint Evan, and this may be the differentiator. Evan, I would probably go with with Matt as well. I'd probably take option one too. I'd go the easy way. <laughs> so, so either you're with us or you're differentiating. You can make the best of either one. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we <laughs> we went for the thirty grand. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's that's yeah. why you're going to be the leader of the free world someday. You know. <laughs> You can train. You can train. <laughs> yes. And what was um, the idea? Yeah. So, so what did you work on? What was so, the... yeah. So, the, so the way the way it was um, coined to us was this environmental social problem, right? Mm -hmm. And we just coming over from the from Europe. We were walking around uh, the uni university campus. Myself and my co-founder Dan, who was from the UK as well, mm -hmm. and we noticed that there were loads of these plastic bags in the re like the residential dumpsters. Yeah, yeah. And we thought, okay, that's not supposed to be there. We we can think, thanks to our European um, knowledge, no, European knowledge of recycling, that that shouldn't be in there. Mm -hmm. So we ended up digging into the, the problem further, and we found that contamination and recycling is a huge issue in the US. Mm -hmm. And it's estimated to cost around $14 billion per year. Um, just in New Hampshire alone, I know off the top of my head, for every ton of recyclable waste that goes to landfill, it's $350. Mm -hmm. Now, only 5% of that bin needs to be contaminated. You have stuff that shouldn't be in there and the whole thing gets chucked. Yeah. So right, right there in America, we saw there's a huge economic cost here of contaminated yeah. recycling. But above ground hydrocarbon, as we once called it. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back to that at some point in time. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're in the back of this sustainability class and we think, okay, that's our idea. We met our fellow co-founder Mikey at the time, an American who did a fantastic job of showing us around um, the beautiful New England area. And as three engineering students, we got together and we thought, okay, let's make a, a smart bin with an AI camera that would identify contamination and it would tell the user to get rid of it, right? Nice, nice bit of hardware. Surely that's the solution. Anyway, three college kids, we then start costing it out. And we then realized very quickly that that's far too expensive for us to ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And it really didn't really solve the, the real pain points that the consumer was having. People didn't know what was recycling, what wasn't. And it was just a simple miscommunication that was going on. So this over-engineered smart bin wasn't scalable and wasn't accessible for all. Wow. So we went back to the drawing board and that's where we came up with Scrap, which is the free mobile app that you see now. The idea with it was that we can make it accessible for everyone. We, everyone, uh, most countries with recycling infrastructure have mobile phone devices to handle the internet connection. A lot of the products where a lot of the contamination was coming from because didn't, people didn't know where to put it from all had one thing in common, which was barcodes. So we identified the pain point for the consumer. They're putting things in the wrong bins. They don't know. They don't know how consistent recycling rules because they vary from town to town. So we really nailed down building this tool for the consumer. When we started to look at what the data sets would, that would be required to carry out this this new project that we've got we found that they are far too far too big and not centralized in any spot big whatsoever data. big data yeah. big data now at the beginning we spoke to some of the organizations that actually manufacture all of these barcodes um, we spoke to a lot of the ngos and organizations in recycling about our solution and a lot of them said like almost just said Good luck. That's a super good task for us to try right now. Um, 
they so w- what we found there it wasn't just an opportunity to educate the consumers but all of a sudden there's this huge gap in data of barcoded information with packaging associated with it now that right there that key missing piece of the puzzle is personally i think critical for the circular economy because how can i i, I st- there are ways around it of course and navigating a lot of companies are doing it but a key p- piece of data is knowing what packaging is made up of what materials they are yeah. and so how you can guide consumers and the industry on what is recyclable and what's not i mean mm. you've probably seen the, the statements to things that say they're 100 percent recyclable we've got the data to prove that those companies or some brands that say they're 100 percent recyclable are actually only accepted in 40 percent of municipalities or 50 percent of municipalities it's just because yeah. that material can mm. be recycled yeah. So what you're yeah. saying there, there is basically a gap, a knowledge gap on both sides, on one hand on the consumer side, but also on the industry side. So they prefer saying like, yeah, we have a hundred percent recyclable material, but they actually don't know what's happening afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a huge, the moment it gets to the, the moment it's out of the retailer's door, mm-hmm. it's no one, it's no one's problem. And that's yeah. like, okay, we've done our job. We've stole it and gone. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's really important because the consumer as much as I'm a strong advocate that this whole plastic problem and the recycling thing is not the consumer's fault, and we, we stand by that at scrap, there are no tools out there to educate them. And that mm-hmm. is the key piece of the puzzle because they have the power to put it in the right or wrong bin. So there was an element there where we, yeah, like exactly like you said, Matt, has just been able to fill the knowledge gap for the consumer and for the industry. Something about consumer. I mean, we, we during the, our, our most recent podcast, we talked, we, we, we joked a little bit about consumer versus maybe another term, you know, and I, I was playing around. And it's like, uh, uh, and I, I've heard this as well. I mean, you know, we, it, it's kind of right now, it's kind of like the, the fashionable thing to make sure that you don't blame the consumer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, to put it back onto uh, somewhere else and let's call it the value chain, which is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and quite frankly, the reality is, 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 is more complex in my view. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yes. Blame the consumer. Yes. Blame up the value chain. Let's blame every link. Yeah. Uh, because that, that's the reality. And you say, well, you know, uh, the, these, every link is made up of, of individuals, uh, to make up organizations and they're all, we're all consumers, you know? So, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's not just about. The consumer is not just about any any other link in the value chain, but but if we're going to solve problems, we've got to have tools like what you've developed to to help us solve these problems. So okay, that was my first rant, but yeah, but it's I think it's good what you're what you're saying because in the end it's it's about creating this awareness and this is what we've we've also discussed with with, yeah. with Tomra, for instance, like or or even in the in the field of chemical recycling, like you have this. If you if you create the awareness that there is, you don't have to feel responsible, but you can take action. Like you you can simply have have the possibility to do something. And many people want to do something, but they don't have the knowledge. But simply just creating this awareness, what can be done is already not only helping the environment, but also, as you just said, saving huge costs. Like when we talked with John about the chemical recycling plants, you have this little small reactor, which is the where where the actual chemical recycling is happening. But on the other hand, you have this huge sorting station in front, and and this is things that can be minimized with with minimal effort. Yeah, because yeah. you have to educate, and it doesn't cost so much. So I think this is a great 
great example and you actually put put numbers to that and was, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and and you you know you you, you create a value uh, or or you show that that there is actually business and financial value behind it if you do this and who's who is like the where, where does your main interest from 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 the um, industry come from in your solution then or simply in the topic also to to fill these knowledge gaps somehow yeah surprisingly the interest we've been getting with the data side of stuff has been from recyclable waste processes so one case an example that i can think of the of a conversation that we've had is using the data that we have with the barcodes mm -hmm. to start to train ai algorithms that can better predict um contamination that's going through the conveyor belt in the uh, warehouses mm -hmm. Because if they actually know for sure through our data sets that, okay, this is a HDPE bottle, they can train algorithms off of that and further refine it. That was, a, yeah. that was and I know there are other examples out there. There's a fantastic company called Recycly that um, operate using AI, just images, and they have a, a product database of several million. Mm -hmm. But um, there, there's different ways of tackling this, the, these problems and just using our data for that aspect is fantastic because it shows that there's an industry application here that at the beginning, I'll be honest, we hadn't really thought of. We were more focusing on reducing the pain point for the consumer and similarly the, the municipalities when it comes to recycling programs. What is the main contamination that you, that because when you talk about contamination, where, what, what are the main challenges? Main challenges with contamination, is that on a, consume, a consumer level or on a industry level or on just both. generally? Yeah, on both, basically. Because this, this sounds like this is this is the, the showstopper in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the recycling, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the problem with contamination, oh, it's a big, that's a big question. Um, so for the consumer, firstly, it's this, um, the lack of communication and not knowing where to put something. Prime example is just, I would like, um, soft plastics so you're talking ldpe bags even pp bags like salad bags for example flexible those sort of packaging. things flexible, like, oh, yeah, flexible, flexible yeah sorry that's my uh yeah, uk terminology coming out there yeah. flexible packaging um that sort of th those are really difficult for the everyday consumer because people don't know and generally a lot a lot of the times they'll just put stuff in the recycling bin anyway in the hopes that it gets recycled mm -hmm. but this actually does more damage down down the line than if they just yeah. put it in the the trash bin which not a lot of people know um i remember i did a quick show and tell once in a room full of people and over 50 percent were putting things in the recycling bin that shouldn't have been going in there it was a it was a special it was like a p6 tray hey He's really, hey I, i'm a chemical i'm not engineer. judging, I'm, not judging. <laughs> I, i'm a chemical engineer and and consider myself relatively passionate these these days about this this subject matter and i make mistakes all the dang time you know so, mm. or, or I say mistakes, and also sometimes just out of exhaustion, just say, screw this and just throw it away, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done here to, to enable, uh, this is great stuff, so. But, but it's interesting that you say some, some things, so like flexible packaging, it, it causes less damage if you put it into the uh, yeah, general trash than into the recycling bin. Why well, I think this could yeah. be interesting for 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 our audience. So why why, <laughs> why is that? Yeah. So it's down to the typically. I'm not I'm not as big an expert on chemical recycling. I'll be honest. But in mechanical recycling, 
Um, the soft plastics can get caught in the machinery. So um, if that's air filters, if that's um, the cages, the, the rolling cages, stuff like that, can cause blockages and those can cause other damage for other materials to collect, which then cause further damages and also reduce efficiencies of recycling. I know right now a lot of supermarkets, especially I know just thinking in the UK and in the US offer these and probably, Europe probably pioneered in it, let's be honest. Um, the soft plastics collection, or sorry, flexible plastics collection at retailer supermarkets, for example. So right now, you look at something like crisp packets, right? They, a lot of people would think, oh, they're, plas they're the plastic crisp packets, but they're actually mixed material. So they have that foil lining on the inside and plastic on the outside. Now, that is extremely difficult to recycle. But yeah. a lot of people are from under the assumption, especially with the current communications that are going out, that, oh, flexible recycling, like flexible packaging is recyclable. Yeah, it's great. But in actuality, it's not, and that's a very that that those are the sort of um, those are the sort of messaging that we want to kind of tackle at the source and say no, this, this is how it should be um, handled from by the consumer. So, so where where should the consumer throw that piece of uh, of foil and plastic? Where should they throw it? Straight in the trash bin and don't think twice about it. Actually, no, you know what they should do? They yeah. should um, they should pull out the scrap app, scan it. And then put it in the trust room. That's what you should do. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, talk about the scrap app that you know just mentioned. Where, so, what is what is the current status? Like, what what's what are you planning to do? Where are you standing at the moment? How many users do you have? Is it is it something that has been adopted widely in some regions already, or are you just uh, at the beginning of the journey? Yeah. Yes. So, so the scrap. I'm in pitching season at the moment, so I'll give you the quick <laughs> thirty seconds. Uh, scrap. Elevator, scrap is the elevator, elevator purge. Where you invest ten percent of the business. Let's go. <laughs> um, scrap is the free mobile app that allows anyone to scan the barcode of any household product, and they can learn which parts are recyclable or not according to their local recycling rules. Every time you use scrap, we will plastic offset your scans, so you can positively influence and impact the planet. Wow, that was one hell of an elevator ride. Right. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> really, really cool. What a good value proposition. Really good stuff. <laughs> so there, there, there were two things that, that, that uh, popped out. I think one thing is you offset the plastic. That's interesting. What, what, what does that mean? Yes, so every, so actually, that's a good question because I'm gonna. There's a little bit of a backstory to it. So when we first had the idea of scrap, right, we had this gamification structure in place. So every time you scanned with scrap, you got these points. Those points could be redeemed for other sustainable products or goods or services. Um, we, we did some fantastic affiliate stuff with Hella Phone Case, Wild Deodorant, Ocean Bottle. A lot of these big brands, mm -hmm. um, with the idea being that people got rewarded for their recycling. Now, when we rolled out the app in September 2021, we found that 96% of our users that were redeeming points weren't interested in the goods or services or anything we we're offering, even free products, nothing. They wanted to donate them to charity or to social causes or environmental causes. Mm -hmm. So in, everyone had been saying, oh, gamification, that's brilliant. We need to reward re recycling. But when you actually get to the numbers and the analytics, you find that that's not the case whatsoever. So we pivoted our business model away from the gamification and focused purely on the utility tool. But the piece of the nugget of information that we got from that initial user research group was that they still wanted that, um, that, that environmental positive feeling that they're doing something good for the planet. So we 
automatically now offset plastics for our users. So that altruistic motivation to recycle can stay because we know that you're not just correctly disposing of the item in your hand, there's also something else coming out for doing so. And it was that sort of, those, there was really interesting research just purely from like from a personal perspective because it was going completely against what, we'd won competitions on that idea, but in actuality it just didn't work and it really helped us reframe this, how we're going about tackling this problem for the consumer. So yes, now the plastic offsetting, we're currently working with um, some third parties to help us offset that. So right now, every five items that you scan with scrap, we'll then remove that on ocean-bound plastic for you. The idea being that as we scale and as we grow, we can start to bring in corporate sponsors that can help us offset and take some of that financial cost with us. Well, you know, we had someone on uh, on, on one of our podcasts, um, Dominic Sanchi, actually, and, and he also had an interesting yeah, assessment system for... for measuring the plastic footprint actually so that's why it's kind of an interesting idea that that actually people now they started with the carbon footprint and then offsetting co2 and now you can have actually a real value to the to the plastic waste and then having also you already talk about it and we just it was also pretty new new concept also startup idea and uh this this uh, plastic uh, footprint due to simply possibilities to to measure this and so on. So, I think that's that's an interesting thing. And the other the other intriguing thing that you just said was um, that uh, you help the co consumers to understand it in line with with uh, local recycling rules and so on. So so you must know then a lot about about these rules or do you work with partners who 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 yeah, tell you and bring in the information and the data that you need for that yeah so we source all the recycling information ourselves. Mm -hmm. um uh, we know that's not scalable we're very much aware of it it's been a, it's been a headache especially for mikey but wow. i've worked for them on it <laughs> I see you're in but, the pitching mode. I see you're in the pitching mode. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that that's a technology. It's interesting technology, but we, we're focused on the scalability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so the scalability. Yes. No. So right now, collecting the recycling information has been has been a top priority for a long time because for the user, they need the geolocated guidance for us to be able to solve their pain point, right? And what was the most interesting about when we were looking at the recycling guidance is there's no, um, there's no consistency anywhere. Town councils, one from the other, have mm -hmm. some have completely different styles of recycling mm -hmm. programs. Yeah. Like, and they and some will have different terminology for the different mm -hmm. things they accept. And you're thinking, mm -hmm. if they're only a kilometer apart, how can you ever get a consistent recycling message yeah. across a country? It's just not yeah. possible. So that's why for us we focused on the programs. Mm -hmm. for that reason um the goal is the, um the goal for us is to get that uh critical mass of recycling guidance for our users but that we're going to start bringing in our b2b services actually looking to pilot in september so we actually offer a web portal for local authorities and municipalities to roll out more data-driven recycling programs and they can use the scrap mobile app as a communication tool for their residents when it comes to recycling mm -hmm. so the idea being is we get it's it's like the analogy calling it a bit of a Trojan horse. You get the, the, the apps of the Trojan horse in that sense. It's the data that's in it that's really going to start um, 
appealing to the, the business to business uh, customers. So, I, I, have a, I have a question oh, uh, geographically, if I may. Uh, you, 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 earlier on in, in the discussion, you, you talked about a, a lot of this uh, coming out of your, your time in the U.S. and New England. Uh, and uh, um, I, I think testing the concepts in, in that that uh, geography, uh, where you are today, uh, are, are you uh, geographically in your in your your business plan? Are you looking at uh, um, are you focusing on the UK? Are you focusing on uh, UK and North America? Are you are you looking at continental Europe? Uh, you know, uh, simple answer is yes, yes, yes. But if that's the answer, can you tell me more about it? Yeah, of course. No, and that's a great question because, yes, as foreign founders, we're so Scrap is an American company, mm-hmm. uh, companies, and we are foreign founders there, but um, no discredit uh, to the US, John, but we seem to get a lot more traction when we were talking about recycling in the UK than when we were in the States. Yeah, so yeah, being able yeah. to roll out the app in the UK first um, for <clears> us was a great opportunity to get that user research, get that feedback quickly. So right now we currently have 100% geolocated recycling guidance across all of the UK. And we also service the Northeast of the US. We currently have the West coast of the US scheduled for release at the end of May. And then we're going to kind of work inwards from there. We currently service uh, 100 million people with recycling guidance right now, with the goal being to completely take all of the US by. So cool. Are you, are you ever going to come on to the continent of Europe? We are, yes. And so part of the opportunity that I that Matt was very uh, gracious in uh, letting the scrap team have was we are flying with the technical team over to future the future incubation program in Frankfurt, um, where will we be developing our, our back-end systems a lot more Super. and Super, yeah. subsequently rolling yeah. out in Europe. Okay, great, great, good, good. Good to hear. Well, I think, but but this is a great question, John, what you just said, because I think the, that's the that no one at the moment is looking at at real data on how the how this recycling happens across these different regions and the continents, and and especially you say like even in even like cities or town councils that are just a kilometer apart they might have different rules. And I think now connecting these dots on, on one hand, the US, because it's it's still like bound to the consumer. So it's still kind of a very cultural or, or influenced a lot by culture. And uh, we had this also in the discussion with, with Tomra that they have to to focus with their technologies also on, on, on uh, yeah, how, how the society works, the culture that is there. And then you have like, these different cultures that you now connect having <laughs> having the same the same goal in mind and then you're going to generate data that that is uh, might be really interesting do you do you see already like interesting insights from the data that you generated if you compare different uh, regions um from the uk the the most interesting data that we're getting is the variances in the same households, but on different schemes. Uh-huh. So this this was, uh, again, no. this might just be more tailored for UK audience, but the difference you have these, you can have up to like, up to, I think in one case, we've got like four or five different schemes that a user, if they scanned in that spot, they would have five schemes that they could pick from. And we would go, which one are, which one are you? But even then you look into the, in how different they all are, whether some accept crisp packets, some accept glass, some accept um, 
other like more don't accept rigid plastics or black plastics but others do and it makes you wonder like why it, why are the waste management services operating like that in that region there's obviously more to it than what the data says i know yeah, there's probably a bit of a story behind it but that's the sort of interesting stuff that i'm finding because it's that that lack of consistency yeah. and of course because uh, it's because it was very defragmented because private privatized it's a bit yeah. more defragmented than if it was a completely public service so I think that's been interesting in the recycling guidance for sure. You, you know, so, something I, I, I kind of been uh, talking about over the past uh, few weeks uh, here on podcasts and also in, in my my other activities, this realization that I have um, when it comes to recycling, uh, I have I have a lot of interest these days in, in, in the uh, domain of chemical recycling. Uh, I don't want to get into the details of that here. That's not the scope of, of tonight, but uh, but uh, one of the main challenges of that industry, uh, which which is uh, getting up and running uh, here in Europe, is 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 what I call feedstock complexity, and 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 we've touched on it here uh, in some ways, and that is quite literally. I mean, it's, it's a nice way of putting it, but it's also quite literally the case. The quality control to the feedstock to these chemical operations called chemical recycling uh, begins in, in everyone's kitchen here in Europe. You know, uh, and that 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 decision right there in that moment, where do I put that? Where do I do that? Da, 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 da. And and you think about that and multiply it by millions upon millions of, upon millions of kitchens in Europe, and, and that's where the, the feedstock complexity begins. And then, and then you have all the different, you know, what you just alluded to, Evan, uh, you know, schemes, how, processes you can follow by choice, just that, it just, we just add to the complexity, da, 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 da. All that is cost uh, in the value chain uh, and, and uh, needs to be uh, uh, addressed uh, and, and, and any, solutions any tools that 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 are that are a part of reducing that complexity or managing that complexity is is really really valuable uh and and that's how what you do evan certainly connects to 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 uh to uh yeah you, uh, recycling and and in in the area that i have special interest in these days chemical recycling so okay i i, I went off and talked a little bit but but uh but just wanted to say that you know it, it's uh, something uh, an observation yeah. no it's interesting and when you say the feedstock quality assurance is when it comes to the residents is it something that they need to proactive proactively be doing with like cleaning containers removing labelings and of packaging for example good. that's a good question i mean that's that's, that's obviously a good practice Although I've always wondered, you know, like uh, uh, there is an, a, a balance between how much water do you spend on cleaning trash in, in the house before you throw it in the trash versus just cleaning a little bit. So, so I mean, uh, you know, there's all kinds of complexity there, too. Uh, but, but uh, you know, um, for, for recycling in general, yeah, the, the more you're able to, to tidy it up before you throw it away, the better. Certainly, uh, it, it, the, that is that is a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, how 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 do you how do you implement that in in, in the quality control of your feedstock in the same way that, uh, that you would uh, if you're actually running a plant 
you know, having feedstock coming from the petrochemical industry where everything is perfectly controlled and measured. And there are contracts between, you know, uh, links in the value chain. You know, I don't think we have any contracts between the, the millions and millions and millions of kitchens in Europe and, and, the, and the chemical recyclers, you know. So mm. uh, I'm riffing here a little bit, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's all riffing to make the point of, of, of what you're doing is important. Yeah, just just uh, I think this is what 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 came to my mind now after John's comment. Um, what is the response from the waste management stakeholders? Like, uh, do you speak a lot with them? Recyclers, I don't know, waste management, um, public and, and and public waste management entities from cities or governments. Do you do you uh, have a close contact with them? Do do they do they use maybe your app also for <laughs> to 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 simply use the data that they get to to innovate on their side yes and it's very interesting you asked that question um about a year ago into our journey we actually got picked up uh, and recognized by one of the biggest waste management companies in the us now that pain point that i mentioned of 350 per contaminated ton of recycling that goes that goes has to go into the landfill that 350 bucks is money in the waste management services pocket yeah so if we're removing that income stream for them <laughs> they're not as interested anymore um so yes in answer to the question yes we have spoken to them and we are trying to collaborate with as many as we can um but what we found especially mainly in the us and i'm most familiar with the us is the pain points and the, the the financial incentive there isn't doesn't rely doesn't reside in the waste management services it resides in the municipalities. I, I, I said I was going to be quiet, but this is something I have to chime in on because it's important. Uh, 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 waste management link in, in the plastics value chain, cir the circular plastics value chain in particular, is, is absolutely critical and absolutely needs to be further developed. Uh, 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 is clearly the case, you know. If you look at waste management as as an as an as an industry, the single largest waste management company in the world has two percent of the market. It, it is so un incredibly fragmented. You, you wow. think you're talking to a huge waste management company, and you are, but 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 there's still you know that many more beside uh, and, and so this the fragmentation of the industry of any industry uh it makes it you know hard to to make everyone sing you know standardize on certain things uh, and then when you take that industry uh which which is not familiar with with uh contamination on the level of part per million right uh which sometimes is what's needed to interface with the petrochemical industry uh, and, and, and other, uh, you know, interfaces, uh, then, then the challenge is huge, huge, huge. So, so, uh, anyway, I just, okay. I, I, I had to just chime in on that. Uh, waste management is absolutely an essential link in implementation of circular economy, uh, uh, circularity and, and, and material value chains here in Europe, absolutely essential and so much more work needs to be done. So anyway. Yeah, and it, it's cool that you said it because this is what I what I what I wanted to <clears throat> refer to is actually that the data from from scrap can be used 
or they can, the waste management stakeholders can use it to actually innovate. And now, John, you just said that the the, the fraction is so little, and, and there is there is still so much potential to to develop that further that it actually fits in, interestingly into the whole picture. And it's because we just spoke uh, about circular economy, so just to round up before we come to to our most interesting question that we always have for our guests, <laughs> the last one. Um, you kind of like show that you are creating an interface between different disciplines and between different stakeholders. And, and as you just said, John, like Europe will be implementing circular economy for sure. And other regions and countries and, and continents will certainly follow in, in, in yeah, sometimes longer or, or shorter timeframes, but, um, I think this this it's crucial to actually have someone like who who speaks and and connects all the different links on the consumer side, industry, but also the regulatory side. Exactly what is also our mission to to have plastic climate future as a, as a platform to engage not only industry or not only science or not only pub, uh, general public, but really have have these uh, different stakeholder types connected because that's that's the way also to 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 drive the circular economy. Um, so how do you, how is my last question? That's why uh, how do you see the interdisciplinary exchange within the stakeholder groups of of the recycling world? Is it happening sufficiently, or do you think we need more? more scraps <laughs> that are more solutions that actually, you know, bring in some light by, by creating the right data and, 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 and simply educating and creating awareness. But what's missing? What, <laughs> what would you want bad. to have, like your last, yeah. your wish, if you would say like, okay, now we have scrap, scrap works, we're gonna grow. And now what's what could be great to have in order to, to really uh, fulfill the vision that we we drive with scrap as well. Uh, that's a good question. So, uh, two parts of the unanswered to that. So, the first part, the interdisciplinary, the interdisciplinary, um, so parts of the the value chain in recycling. I think there are so many moving cogs, right, that are in this in the in the, in the industries. But there is a fundamental piece in the middle that I personally feel is going overlooked. And in the age of information, I think it's very surprising that no one has come into it yet. There are, there's obviously these companies now that are working in the space and starting to start looking at tra uh, traceability and uh, transparency, etc. And I think a, an organization that can manage that data from the supply chain at the beginning of a, the cradle to grave process well i did it cradle to cradle essentially through the for information that's right it's that's right, absolutely buddy. fundamental yeah yeah so mike mike if mike is listening to this he'll have my head off because he's he's on the lcas he does tell me um but yeah no cradle i did it cradle to cradle um so having an organization that can connect that data is absolutely fundamental because it's it, it, as much uh, when it comes to communicating with consumers it's a completely different ball game to con con uh, talking to industry I mean, I don't think any consumer has any idea what bi-directional and mono-directional HDPE is. They don't, they don't have no need to know. They yeah, need to know. Indeed. They just Indeed. make it as 
they want to make it as quick as efficient process as possible for them to put it in the right bin. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But with there's with no interface between the two, this is where this miscommunication and this lack of faith in the system has stemmed from. And that's mm-hmm. where I think there's a real niche opportunity to use data and information to leverage that change. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the second part of the answer, sorry, it's a long-winded one. The, uh, the, the thing you're saying about getting <laughs> getting to scrap, scrap's mission and what we're doing there, where I have said transparency and accountability would be great with information, right? We've spoken to some big organizations as a small startup about what we're doing because they have got some vested interest in it. Now, they, everyone, they would like to say that they're going to be transparent and accountable until we actually hold them transparent and accountable. And then all of a sudden, oh, no, 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 no. So for us, I think being able to live in a world where this information isn't something that has to be masked, it isn't something that you have to put behind closed doors. I think that's truly where we're going to unlock the benefits of the circular economy, but that requires every single player in that value chain to be engaged with it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying there. Uh, uh, the ideal, uh, uh, and there, there is, a, there is a, there is a place where you can get to. There, there, there this, this, this equilibrium exists. Yeah. Uh, what, what I will also say though, from from some of my recent experiences, is. is uh, uh, we we live we live uh, we live we live in a a, a free society economically speaking. We, we live in a society where we have competition among uh, you know companies that that develop technologies, put all kinds of blood, sweat, and tears and investment into it, and some of their ways of of, of differentiating themselves from one another come on to. Uh, uh, some some of these uh, these 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 uh, areas that, that would be say that they want to keep private, but be, because of their their own competitive advantage, that that some others would say, well, you're not being transparent. So so we have to be, uh, um, you know, balance that out too. Uh, yes, transparency, but at the same time, realize that that uh, uh, actually some of the technical performance uh, of of these companies and technologies is how they differentiate and how they compete. You know, so anyway, sorry. Oh no, absolutely. No, no, very. There's a great point you make there. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Yeah, but that's why we need uh, we need uh, solutions like Scrap, which which uh, provides some more insights by data, and then we need mm-hmm. plastic climate future in order to bring these conversations <laughs> to to everyone, and then say, people, let's 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 look at. The, everything from different perspectives and then we can yes, the indeed. Right solution. Indeed. <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's my final final words for today and uh, we have one last question for you <laughs> and uh this is our favorite question and uh we ask it everyone because we have we have actually uh, a little hobby and and both of us do some music from time to time i i both play guitar and uh we have our own plastic climate future playlist on Spotify. Yes. Um, so we ask our guests to name one or two songs for the playlist that kind of connect to to the podcast or to them or to their activities. Yeah, or just whatever you love. Yeah. So that's also possible. And uh, since you're from from UK, you, you have lots of good music. Probably... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. Great question, and I did have a think about it before the podcast. Um, oh, cool! So I got two, two, two. Yeah, thank you, Evan, for doing that. Uh, no, okay. Um, 
So my first song uh, is a great one of my grandfather's favourites, Mr. Bojangles, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. cover. Love that, love that song. It's, it's probably weren't expecting it from somebody of my generation. But, wow, uh, that's counterintuitive, that brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one would be Iron Sky from Paolo Nutini. Oh, I know it. Wow. Yeah. I was expecting some Oasis, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do like Oasis. They're wonderful. It's almost it. But, yeah. That's great stuff, though. Really great. I-